an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 961. Uh, this episode brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, make a thing. Make a thing. Make your own presence somewhere online that is not based on some type of a social media platform. With Squarespace, uh, you can create a website or blog or showcase your work, anything you want. Announce a special project. Uh, maybe a wedding announcement, who knows? Uh, but they have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And then e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything you want online. You can customize all of it. Uh, it's optimized for mobile right out of the box digitally. And there's a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. And then you're going to get analytics that help you grow in real time. Uh, there's free and secure hosting, nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And then you're going to get the 24-7 award-winning customer support. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet, so make it a reality with Squarespace. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast. couple things. I'm still on the Ethan Hawke train because he's a good guy. So go see First Reformed. It is in theaters now. It is a movie he's in. Uh, and support Ethan Hawke, who will be coming up on uh, one of the upcoming episodes of Talking with Chris Hardwick, which uh, premieres on AMC June 17th. Also, uh, I just announced that I'm going to be doing a, a show, a stand-up show at the Neptune in Seattle on October 26th. That's a Friday, which means that's kind of like Halloween weekend. So I want you to, I want, if you're in Seattle or even if you're not, come to the show, uh, but come in costume. I want to try to do some sort of a Halloween costume contest. I want to give out candy. I want it to, I want you to partially celebrate Halloween weekend with me in Seattle uh, on October 26th. So uh, if you go to Ticketmaster.com and just search my name, you'll find it. It's going to say ID10T Tour, which is sort of accurate, but I don't want you to confuse that with the festival, which we're announcing next month, uh, which is going to be in November. Uh, but let's talk about you, the ID10T community, and the corkboard. Uh, corkboard at ID10T.com. Bob writes... I'm a seventh grade language arts teacher in Arizona. As you can imagine, I have a tremendous passion for reading and writing. I was lucky enough to find a friend and fellow teacher that shares it. And for the last two years, my friend Bill and I have written a novel and published our own blog. We release our stories, both personal and fictional, uh, for people to consume. We even put up our own podcast, a free audiobook of our novel. We are self-publishing our first novel, Seeker's Price, on Amazon. It's available to pre-order on Kindle for 99 cents till May 25th. You can support us, like, and follow our Facebook page at Expedition Holding. Uh, subscribing to the blog, expeditionholding.com, or subscribe to the Seeker's Price podcast. Also, Chris Mazzoni writes, Mazzoni! Hey, so to the so Italiano, mi piace! Uh, my wife recently, not my wife, this is Chris Mazzoni's wife, recently started a blog about meditation called Help Mama Meditate. Her blog is a mindfulness meditation resource geared toward moms who are seeking balance and harmony, though it could benefit non-moms as well. It offers tips, advice, guidance, and recommendations for those seeking to start a mindfulness and meditation practice. If you're a mom looking to bring some balance in your life, visit helpmamameditate.com. That's mama with one M uh, for some tips and starting a meditation practice. Great job, Signore Mazzoni. Uh, this episode is Natalie Dormer, who you might recognize from a little show called Game o' Thrones. Um, but she's a super, super awesome uh, actress and writer and producer, and she's promoting her new film In Darkness, uh, which is in theaters May 25th, and her new Amazon miniseries Picnic at Hanging Rock, also premiering May 25th. Um, and uh, yeah, we're st still doing these podcasts out of my house. We are we are constructing a new podcast studio 
at uh, Pinniped Manor, as I'm calling it, and uh, so soon. But Natalie was nice enough to come to the house and uh, and do the podcast. She was great, and uh, it just. I, I'm not going to lie. I really kind of wish I had a British accent. <laughs> I, or I wish I could have just been faking one this whole time so you'd think I had one and not this weird mishmash American mutt accent that I have from all of my moving all around the country. But, uh, yeah, so Natalie was great, and yeah, I wish I had a British accent. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I don't. But uh, this episode also brought to you by Joe Para. Hello, there's a new show coming to Adult Swim called Joe Para Talks With You. It is a quiet show about Joe and his friends and the things in his life like breakfast foods, rocks, weddings, being wakened up by thunder, grilled chicken, pumpkins, fall drives, and more. Now here's a personal request from Joe, quote-unquote, please watch. Joe Para Talks With You, Sundays at midnight on Adult Swim. Also, Mattress Firm. Um, listen, you're probably a bit of an overthinker, I would imagine. If you would subscribe to the ID10T, formerly Nerdist Podcast, maybe uh, maybe you have an active internal monologue that keeps you awake at night, but maybe it's your mattress. If so, the fine people at Mattress Firm want to help. Uh, they're America's neighborhood mattress store. They're going to help you stretch your budget for a little further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They're not solely mattress experts, though. They're going to help you build your bed from headboards to adjustable bases to sheets. They even have bedroom decor. They have you covered, uh, literally and figuratively. Go to mattressfirm.com, save 10%. With the code PODCAST10, that's PODCAST10, uh, through June 5th, Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and 120-night low-price guarantee, so you know you paid the perfect price. Go to mattressfirm.com to learn how sleeping could be tremendously improved in your life. Thanks to them for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T Podcast number 961 with Natalie Dormer, Katie, rule the thing. Initiating ID10T Protocol. Because it's 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 a pretty spectacular. It just was built in a period of time where people could, where her great great grandfather could go to Europe and go. I like this castle. Just take it apart and then reassemble it. <laughs> I'll just take these pieces. I mean, you can't do that now, but but at the time, you, yeah, it was the done thing. Yeah, you could just go. I'll take that, and they'd go okay, and yeah. they'd just take it apart, put it on a boat. And then just reassemble. Ship a shitload of stuff. Ship from, a shit. Uh, ship a fucking from, castle from Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I then like it, it. it is like a you know a 14th century castle. Like yeah, take all those pieces out and just I don't know, just stick that there and there and there. Then he had this amazing architect who would then somehow integrate it and make it look like it you know it was supposed to be there. So she would create these you know these uh, pieces that were new but looked were in keep were, they, they were in keeping say, with it in keeping yes that helped sort of fold it into the into the castle so now if someone did that people would be like what a piece of shit how could you <laughs> you know but now we can it, was, it would happen a long time ago so it's all right no but it's great it's like when you're standing on set on game of thrones and you'd like you'd knock on you know like your beautiful um sculpted stone out there and it's just you know it sounds like that <laughs> It looks like that. <laughs> Just kill it. Yeah, I know. It's, it must. It must sort of kill the magic. Really. It looks like you're in some magnificent, magnificent stone castle that you know, like Allah. You know, all around Europe, and it actually sounds like that. Yeah, on the other side, it's just like it's just like wood slats holding it up, and some Eastern European grip just smoking. Like, oh fuck, yeah, it's just gone. Yeah, (laughs) you can't ever let people need to think that Westeros is real. It's just a documentary that you guys made Uh, for a while. It's hilarious. You know, you do end up shooting though, and also like those, you do end up in like you know, standing in the wilds in some granite limestone castle in northern ireland that does happen too so you get both worlds that's what's so fun about being american and going over over to europe or to you know for the first time is really feeling like old stuff yeah because the the, you know the kind of the silly thing is like you know our house was built in 1928 you know that's very old to us Mm -hmm. but it's laughable Mm -hmm. uh in europe and you and just being able to go and connect with original wow this has survived for centuries somehow 
so many things have happened in the world and here this thing stands. But we don't build things like that anymore. No, well, we don't either. I mean, it's like when all those new buildings that go up in all the metropolis all over the world, they all start to look a bit generically the same, right? Yeah. Whether it's Abu Dhabi or London or New York, it's all like, you feel like that skyscraper, skyscraper could be built anywhere now. Right. It's kind of sad. Do, but do you think they thought that back then? They're like, oh, all these brownstones, Jesus, <laughs> ugh, what trash, you know? And of course, that's our history. I mean, are we... Do you think at some point if someone's going to look back at the glass boxes and go, this is really... This is, yeah. They really this, did it. This is spiritual. I'm having a spiritual experience right now standing inside this glass gherkin. I don't, I don't know. I don't know is the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's... The glass box thing is interesting to me because there isn't... I don't know how someone could look at that and have any kind of like a, a moving spit. Like it's devoid. It's a, I guess it's just like, well, it's you just sleep in it. Like, don't worry about anything. It's just sleep in it. I don't know. I don't really know my architecture history as well as I should. But you said that this you said this house is sort of like in line with like your taste is sort of old Yeah, the way you've weird. wallpapered here and the the quirkiness, the animal theme, the rugs, the wood paneling. I mean, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I basically want to hire your interior decorator. If it's your <laughs> wife, I want to just talk to your wife. It would be largely my wife, okay. yeah. It I, would need be to, I, I, need to talk to, I need to talk to your wife quite seriously as soon as I buy somewhere. That's what I'm saying. Are you, so you, don't, you haven't bought a place No, yet. I do, you but do. I mean the next place. The you next know, place. The next place. Like I said, that's how I know Timorous Beasties. I've got Timorous Beasties wallpaper. Oh, it's the best. Like, and cushions as well. And, yeah, they yeah. do the fabrics. You do the fabrics, oh. then you get carried away. I know. Yeah. There's so many. It's kind of funny when you meet other folks who have that same kind of design aesthetic because you start listing because even your publicist was like oh walnut wallpaper was like yeah i got this great <laughs> star wars wallpaper from there i mean it's you know it's, it's it is kind of a weirdly small community and you'd think with the internet there's an infinite number of places to go and there really there aren't that isn't. many no i know there's not it's true i've spent the last three days trying to find i've been searching different configurations of reclaimed dutch doors dutch doors recycled old dutch door because i'm trying to find those half doors that have like the little countertops on them. I understand. For another space. And I can't. This is how you know you're not in your 20s anymore. Yeah, exactly. This kind of stuff turns you on. Oh, like so, I get so excited. So excited. My, my, my family, my, you know, my brother and my sister and my friends always come into my home back in London. And they're like, you can tell how much time you spend in hotel rooms and in Soho House. Because everything's like open plan. And I have like the freestanding bar. Mm -hmm. And this green that is very similar to the green you've got in this room. Panelling. Yep. Yep. You know, it's like, sis, you spend a lot of time. In hotel rooms. You, it, they do become... It's osmosis. It seeps into your brain. Of course Chris. it does. Because that's you're basically having to find a temporary home. And so, but that's what's so interesting about being, you know, like almost a, like a transitory performer where you... Take a little bit from here. Take a little bit from here, a little, little bit from, from there. there. But you have to create home somehow wherever you are. that's true, actually. Um, some of the furniture in my dining room, the chairs are chairs that um, are from a, a, a play that I did. And uh, I have, we have a reading chair in our living room, like an old, like winged um, reading chair that came off a set um, that um, Anthony directed on. We kind of pick up, Oh, I have a chair from In Darkness, actually, oh, that, that's I sat, cool. that I sit on, that I sat on In Darkness. Because, you know, the production designer at the end of a, a shoot or a, a theatre run is like, you get first dibs on the furniture. Oh, that's fantastic. First dibs is also a great website to buy stuff if you haven't been on. It's also a great <laughs> antique website. But that's the, the important thing for furniture, I think, in design is like, does everything have a story? Exactly. And antiques have an automatic story because they're antiques, but that's even better. It's part of your job that you protect. Yes. Yeah, it's cool if you can. Yes, yeah. and then and then like everything that you're living with are essentially just like it's a it's a living design diary of of your your life up mm. to that point. Yeah. What, do you have anything from Game of Thrones? Uh, do I? I don't have furniture from Game of Thrones. Nothing. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? How could I have sn sn snuck out with a word chair that's the size of the one I'm sitting in? Don't mind it? me, guys. I'm just... This torture coffin. I'm not doing anything. Of, yeah, yeah exactly. I know. Oh, I'm sure they're super protective of that stuff. <laughs> it's almost reason enough to do what you're doing, which is to create your own things so that i can therefore just again have first dibs on all the furniture that's exactly right and so you might actually find yourself you know saying to your partner hey 
I think maybe let's do like a mid-century story because I need like a <laughs> mid-century kitchen table. Yeah. And let's center it around it's, that. Exactly. Exactly. That's so how you also you know you're this. not in your 20s and you're learning. You're like, how do I, what kind of furniture can I pilfer <laughs> from everything that I, that I work for? I mean, that, that transition, like, I don't even know what I did in my 20s. I don't know where furniture came from. It just, I feel like it just appeared. Like I had it. Ikea. It, probably Ikea. It came from Ikea. It, was, yeah. uh, it came from Ikea. Yeah. You yeah. know? Which sounds like a horror movie, but that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it was. It came from Ikea and every piece. And you flat, it was flat pack and you put it together. That's and, right. Yeah. Just one little Allen wrench. Well, yeah. And there's always one screw missing. One? Yes. <laughs> one screw or like there are two left-handed things and there should be a left and a right. I know. And you got to fucking pack it all back up, take it back to Ikea, you know. But I guess that's that's sort of the, the glass box living though of like I just need – Things to, I don't need anything with a story. I just need to be able to sleep on something. Well, you're out and not all the time. You're out. You're doing stuff. You're like when you're in your twenties, you're out partying. You're taking over the world. You're right. Not, you're not going. I really need to find a lamp. Like, just that rock. <laughs> just you know, because it's a bit dull in that corner, and I just need something to offset the the, the shutters there. It's like that's not what you're thinking. <laughs> I just yeah. need a corner piece that's under thirty six inches high. <laughs> exactly. To feel where emotionally that, stable. Where is that measuring tape? I yeah. know I've got it somewhere. We've even started like buying different measuring tapes. So like this one will just live in the kitchen, and then this one will live over here, so we don't have to run honey, around from room honey, to room. Honey, where's the measuring tape? Yeah, and she'll yeah. have an answer. That's how you know we're a mature couple. Yeah. Oh, I put it in the thing when we measure the. Oh, good. Oh, thank you so much. Like that type of planning and forethought. But, you know, your brain doesn't even fully wire until you're about 25 or 26. You don't think about the future and consequences as much, you know, like you at a certain point, your brain like settles in and then you're like, all right, it's, I got to plant roots now. Yeah. I got to feel like I want to. Yeah. What are where are your where do you feel rooted the most? London. You do. Yeah. I mean, I love the States and I love being over here, West Coast and East, but um. I've never moved hook, line, sinker. I mean, I would for the right job, of course I would, for the right project, but I'm a London girl, and there's a part of me that always wants to go home. I mean, I complain about the rain, but there's something moody and atmospheric about it, you know. Then you miss it when you're not there. Yeah, you know, but that's what I like. You, you know, if you need a bit of vitamin D, get on a plane and come to L.A. But, I guess that's true. But, um, yeah, home is st- still, up to this point, has been London. But I don't know, maybe I'm ready. I, I find myself more compelled towards green and open spaces again now. See, it's another age thing. <laughs> Florida. I just, I'm going to move to Florida. Well, just you need to feel... It's, it's nice to look around and feel like peace in yeah, the environment. Yeah, human. You know, just, um, you know, and I got a dog and I love going for a dog walk, long do- dog walks. And it's just a new, new chapter in my life. That's nice. I mean, London is pretty spectacular, though. It just feels... It just feel it just feels so it's so charming it just everything is so perfect the way that it's you know i mean it it had to it had to age that long in order like you couldn't just recreate it and and you look around our house and i think we've tried to i think you've gr- done sterling work we tried to grab a yeah, sense of it but there is definitely a sort of there is sort of a there is a feel there is definitely a expat feel I'm, but, get, I'm getting it of the british empire <laughs> but you just walk into you just walk into some random place in in london that's been there for you know hundreds of years and at some point someone just threw a carpet down and threw up a weird wall covering and threw up a bust of a statue and then a wall of old paintings and they i don't even know if they even give it that much thought and it's perfect you're like this is the no, exact perfect incre- configuration just before christmas i was on stage at the at the theater royal haymarket which is this beautiful old theater and it's like you said you look up at the you look up at the ceiling and it's all these sort of fine you know detailed beautiful um paintings like on a, in a you know like you find in a church and um you know it's it's really and the gold gilding everywhere and you know they just don't make buildings like that anymore and it carries a heritage and it's a stage that you know vivian lee stood on and like uh john and you know and you know some greats gilgood and all these amazing stage actors and you just feel i think in london you do feel history you're right in certain buildings and on certain corners yeah and and the history you know the real history of the united states was wiped out when the colonists came 
came over. And so it's just it gets younger as you move west because that's where, you know, as the as the Europeans came and settled and then they and just pushed in. slowly started moving, taking over different parts. And um, and so there just isn't there's just this side of the country just doesn't there's not a lot of like our history is like. Charlie Chaplin shot a movie here. Like that's that's about as deep as as we go on the West Coast. There must be some good books on LA's original, like LA's history, though. Sure. There must be. I'm sh- I'm sure I've been told that before. You pre it becoming Tinseltown, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this I, particular area. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, California kind of boomed in the late 1900s. There was a gold. There was a gold rush in California, mm-hmm. so a lot of people came west and. You know, there were Pueblos here and it was very, um, uh, it was it was really lovely. And then just at a certain point, brrr, like all these buildings. I mean, there are pictures from the late 1800s that you, you go, that doesn't look that, if you saw that and said that this was a downtown from today, without, minus the skyscrapers, it looks, it looks like a hipster, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it built really fast. Mm-hmm. So, but it was really the entertainment industry that is kind of that has it has the most history in los angeles mm-hmm. so but i just don't know so much of that was temporary they didn't save stuff in those days so things just got ripped out built over and you so. still have some really beautiful art deco buildings there's I mean, still a few you know you can see a, a few, you know a few gems there's a couple yeah there's a couple but it's but it's also tiled with a lot of shitty buildings where you you know like in the 70s are like they added orange. A lot of people here. We gotta just put this up. Doesn't matter. We yeah. just stucco all this. Yeah, fuck it. Stucco over all the original stonework. It just yeah. doesn't matter. We just need it to work. Yeah. You know. So LA suffers a lot from that too, of just the boom. But I, I, I wonder for for you. Are you ever? Do you ever stress out and go, God, I, I want to get a job that I would love to work on, but I am terrified that it's going to take me away somewhere else for a year at a time. No, I mean I'm pretty open to that. I mean I've been. I think that, you know, that just goes with the territory, really. And I found myself in places because of this job that I would never ordinarily have gone. You know, um, you find yourself in, you know, I, you find yourself like in a forest in the middle of Serbia, like, a, <laughs> like on, the, on the Serbian-Bosnian border. Uh, but actually, I mean, like, that is an incredibly beautiful place. And I would never have gone there if I hadn't shot the forest. Right. Um, but actually, that was like, um, that was actually quite a blessing to see, you know, cross over the border and see a little bit of Bosnia, because in reference to In Darkness, that's kind of our, the history of our, one of our, couple of our characters um you know the yugoslav war so um and you just find yourself i learned to scuba dive because i ended up uh, the reason i learned to scuba dive was because i found myself in some like serviet hangover kind of like old swimming pool in um on the outskirts of um prague um learning training for in a pilot for an underwater car crash and you just find yourself in this big like brutalist concrete building um, from the communist era, learning to how to use a regulator properly. <laughs> and you're like, my life is weird. It's weird. And I would really like to apply this skill and take it to the Caribbean, you know? <laughs> which I then duly did. But you find yourself, you find yourself in interesting places. Um, I spent some time in Dubai, sort of, but sort of like behind the closed doors of Dubai because we were sort of invited in, but the director was a young British Emirati, um, Ali Mustafa. And so I saw elements of Dubai that maybe you know Europeans don't always see and you just find you get you know when the the locals take you in so to speak when you go and shoot right so you see a site and always make best friends with the teamsters make best friends with your driver and then you get to see whole other worlds that I like the adventure of my job you know yeah and it's it's there's almost a strange parallel between just talking about like scuba diving, you probably pick up a little bit of a language here and there, this and that. It is sort of like collecting the furniture. You know? Yeah. It's like collecting yeah, exactly. the experiences. Right? It is. It's an eclectic, it's a numerous number of, it's a multitude of lives for the price of one. Right. And I, I think anyone with a creative temperament kind of does that. It's not just actors, it's also musicians or, you know, artists or writers. Um, even producers, God love them. They end up, <laughs> <laughs> just by osmosis, they get cultural <laughs> stimulus. But um, 
yeah, it's kind of like it is that wandering troubadour kind of. And yeah, you're right. As you get older, you want to make sure that you have the home to get down to. You get the dog, you do the family or whatever. But um, yeah, it's that exploration that is fun, keeps it fresh. And I feel like it's also necessary because you could. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are amazing actors who just do theater their entire lives. But it seems that, you know, as a performer, don't you kind of need to go experience a bunch of different weird things because that sort of helps you create you know it's like what are you reaching into when you're creating characters or when you're embodying roles if you if you just do one thing your entire life and don't ever actually really experience anything yeah i mean i think so i mean i love i love the theater i mean i first and foremost i always consider myself a stage actor it's what i'm trained as and whenever i go back you know, to the stage as I did before Christmas, it kind of feels like a homecoming. Mm -hmm. But um, over and beyond that, exactly what you're saying, to go out into the world and meet people and cultures that you wouldn't ordinarily, um, you know, to see the beauty of Croatia for five years in a row um, and all the islands down on the Croatian coast whilst I was shooting Game of Thrones. And I mean, I didn't get to go, but the guys pushed up into Iceland and to meet different uh, nationalities, cultures, have these experiences. It's so rich. It's hopefully it makes you, um, you know, it, it alters your perspective and keeps your mind open and keeps you empathetic. Yeah, Game of Thrones is an interesting show from this. I mean, like it's for a lot of reasons, but because I would imagine a lot of the actors probably didn't really see each other except at Comic-Con. It's like, oh, you're shooting that story and then we're shooting this no, one and true. someone else is over there. A hundred percent. We don't ever work together. No, that's when we only, that's only when we saw each other really was press. <laughs> or, but, you know, it got shuffled up every year. You'd be, this is exciting. I guess I wonder who I'm going to work with this year. Um, you know, but yeah, we would end up not seeing... Yeah, Kit Harrington and I would go years without seeing each other. <laughs> it's like other than at press and at, you know at, at, do, at do's inverted commas. So um, yeah, but um, it was it was you know I, I, so it was a tremendous. It was five years of my life. It was an incredible experience. I sandwiched it beautifully by being a, a fan for season one, and now I'm a fa- watching it like a fan again for the last season. You know, with a nice chunk in the middle. I mean, it was just a perfect amount of time to be part of that phenomenon in the true sense of the word and then be able to leave and get all the things under my belt that I have in the last few years but still wear a little bit of a tattoo on my heart, you know. On my bum it says G-O-T. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really get got, a tattoo? I've got the high... No, no. But I've got the... You know, I've got the mark. <laughs> yeah, I've got to... I kind of feel like, you know, I've everyone... i stamp. <laughs> yeah, because that is... That's a... That, like, that is an experience. Like, if you were going to get a tattoo of something... <laughs> I mean... The iron throne on your butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little throne. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe I'm going to be a little bit too much. It would be really throne, narcissistic. the throne <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, I, no, I, even... I could have gone with a rose. I could have gone with a Marjorie Terrell yellow rose. I haven't done that, guys. You haven't I, done I, that. I haven't done that. No, but... Um, it's, yeah, but just, that, just for the record. It's hard, it's hard enough to like, oh, I, I can't wear a crew jacket for a show that I'm on. That looks obnoxious, but what, I'll put a tattoo on. Yeah, I mean, I'll, that's permanent. But, it, you know, that show, the community of people around that show, and also... Can you? It's interesting to hear that you can watch the show as a fan again and not go. Psst, ah, there's a teamster on the other side of that. Yeah, no, I get completely submerged in it. I really do, and that goes. I mean, that's good storytelling, right? It means right. it's got me, even though I know everyone as their character, as real life as well as their character. But I mean, yeah, no, and it was, I, you know, and you just you're part of the family, and it stays, and. Um, you know, there's a couple. There's a couple of Game of Thrones in 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 darkness, and it, you know, it's just because you know I love these people, and um, so you know, um, and and also they've more or less hired every single British actor at this point, <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard not to have a crossover some in some places. You're gonna get a Game of Thrones but, or a Harry Potter, or like there's a couple where it's a, like yeah. they just absorbed so much, so much of shooting, yeah, and the same thing kind of. Hap- yeah, Irish actors as well because it, a lot of it shoots, you know, in in Northern Ireland. So um, a lot of the I'd see a, lot, a few of the actors that I shot the Tudors with or whatever. <laughs> so there's, there's a really good strong theatre community in Dublin that do the odd day playing on, you know, the Tudors or something like Game of Thrones. So you see the same, the usual reliable, incredible actors, the same suspects again and again. It's, that's right. Yeah, cool. that, that's right. You did the Tudors for a couple of seasons as well. Yeah. So you say. Like, 
So it's period. I lo- yeah, I love islands, <laughs> the north and the south. Different countries, guys. Americans don't always remember that. Um, but yeah, um, I love Ireland. As mm. well, I, we're dying to go. My my wife's family ultimately is from. Like when she goes back, like her family is their roots are in Ireland, and I've never, I've never been. I've only, I've been to, I've been to England and I've been to Scotland, but I've never been to Ireland, and I want to go so bad. Oh, it's a beautiful country. Summer or winter? What's a better time to go? Oh, you, come on, you know the answer to that question. <laughs> but isn't there something romantic about? Oh, and it's like what about horizontal? Yeah, about horizontal rain? No. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And yes. the grayness? No. I mean, spring, summer, fall. I mean, you know, autumn as well. Very beautiful. Um, I was uh, I was down doing the Ring of Kerry last year, which is a really beautiful place and um, really stunning, stunning landscape. Um, I love Ireland. I've got, you know, I wear that badge firmly with pride the little bit. I kind of feel honorary Irish after about 14 years of work coming and going back from there. So have you d- have you done the Irish accent in an Irish thing? You know what? I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Would that make you nervous? Yeah, well, yeah, having been with an, an Irishman for over a decade, I, <laughs> I I mean, I do it now, I impersonate certain people, but I get shot down by my Irish friends, you know, they, they say I sound like a leprechaun, but I'd like to, t- <laughs> I'm not going to do and no, I'm not going to do it right now, to be sure. Um, but no, um, I, I would like to give it a go. I'd like to think with the right amount of, you know, I with the right amount of hard work, I tend to try and, you know, nail an accent, so I'd like to give it a go one day. There's a lot of great plays so maybe on stage one day. Who knows? Yeah, that's the thing is that it's if you're especially if you're doing an Irish accent in a play in Ireland, you don't want people in the audience. Oh no, to be I like, wouldn't do that. It would have to be broad. It would be it would be Broadway or the West End. I would never do an Irish accent in Dublin. It is not worth the hassle. I mean, you could tell most Americans that what you're doing now is an Irish accent. They'd go, "Yeah, that sounds right." Like they, you, you can totally get away with it here. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful sound. Although I do also like that. I have to say, when it comes to sexiness, I also like the Scottish accent a lot. It is good. I think men with a Scottish accent, it's it's hot. Yeah. Well, because it's real growly. And you almost can't like if, if when Scottish people are speaking directly to other Scottish people, it's very hard to understand. It's, like, yeah, you can't, it's, in, it's impenetrable. You can't jump in and figure no. out what it is. Well, especially sort of Glaswegian. That's yes, of, yeah, yeah. But it of... does. It all just sounds like incantations. You're yeah. like you're just casting spells. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what this is. But it just that that uh, that scenery and that greenery and that much. That environment, you know, informing who the people are and infusing, you know, such a, a beautiful, it's just such a lovely looking place that I'm dying to go. No, you'll, you'll love it. And you really will. Do you, uh, the music, the, the culture is, um, the art, the, you know, it's, they have such a rich, all the Celtic cultures have such, an, and I've got some Welsh in me and I've got some Irish in me. I think we're all kind of mongrels on the British Isles. <laughs> but um, that sort of the, the, the Celtic culture, of the art culture is truly a thing to be incredibly proud of. Um, it's a beautiful place. And if you play golf, I don't know. If you play golf, it's also a good place to go. So I mean, I've uh, you know I've, I've you done it. I've done it. I've done it before. I don't. It's not ever anything I ever think to do. Like you know what I'm going to do this weekend. No, I've I'm never. Go. I've never picked up a club. And I was having dinner with some friends the other night um, who are mad into it as a couple. It was really. I was like, really? Tell me more. This is a young couple. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I was really kind of impressed it was seemed incongruous to me i was like tell me about this i can't imagine my wife and i going to a golf course i can't imagine i mean i i worked at a golf course in college so like i i mean you know did you were you driving the buggy i was driving the buggy i was carrying golf bags i was parking cars i was uh, you know getting yelled at by rich people it's all the things that you think would happen right 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 to pass it where's my ball god damn it you know it's a lot of i I just i saw it going here i don't know hit straighter you know, but uh, I can't. My wife is not. Yeah, like for instance, you know, we're going to the Magic Castle tonight. Like that's what my wife likes to. You know, the Magic like, Castle. Magic Castle. Yeah. It's is a, that where the magicians come out when you are? It re- is. Whilst you're eating dinner, I've been told about this. I've been told I have to go. It's great. Is it? Yes. Do you like a magic trick, Chris? I do like a good magic <laughs> trick. Yeah. Well, you know, I was like, oh, you know, my friends are either comedians or magicians or jugglers. You know, it's just all the weird, uh, basically circus performers. You know, like any kind of circus performer is kind of who that that that's that's kind of where our hearts are. Awesome. So, how often do you go to the Magic Castle? We don't get to go that often, <laughs> and it's just like right down the street, and we belong to it for a couple of years, and we just we just never we just don't ever have the time. 
to go. Well, you know, I'm sure you, when you're home. Oh, right. Yeah. You never do the things yeah. in your own hometown. I mean, there must yeah, be a no, million incredible yeah. things to do know, within sh- walking distance know, from right. your place. I mean, I should be in the British Museum every day, in the British <laughs> Library every day. And I'm not, you know, I'm not. So you're quite right. You know, you so. just drive by and you're like, boy, that looks great. I'm going to go there. The place looks great. Yeah. But boy, bed at seven o'clock sounds great. <laughs> Paja- early pajamas sound really awesome. Are you a late night person or you a morning person? I'm a late night person. That's why I'm more I'm more suited to theatre in that way because when the alarm goes off at five a.m. when I'm shooting, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not great without caffeine. Um, in an ideal world, I would sort of I like to go to work at five p.m. and finish about one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my most productive. Yeah, time. come home, wind down a little bit. What about you? Morning, to, I'm morning, a morning person. You're, about, oh, you're, you're right up with the, the larks, are you? Yeah, I, I, I wake up. I'm up early, it, which is hard when I go to stand-up because stand-up shows go until 12, 1230 at night. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just wrecked for the next day. And it takes me an entire day to rest up enough to be able to do two shows that night. I just can't. I don't know. I, just, I love to. I mean, I love to sleep. I can pretty much... Dormer by name, Dormier by nature. I can just kind of curl up pretty much anywhere. Airport, green room. That's a survival technique for... Sidewalk. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it is, you know. I'm a a napper, yeah. You have to, with, with what you do... That you you would not survive if you if you had a very rigid sleep schedule because you just you're not afforded the luxury. It's like you're gonna you you're work whenever they need you to work. You, you don't have any control over that. Mm. But that's why you know this the in, the in Darkness movie, which you co-wrote this. I this, did, yeah. I mean, that's the thing to do is to not be a pawn in the entertainment business and start making the stuff that you want to see. See, yeah. Well, that's the point, right? If the alarm is going off at 4.30 or 5, you make damn sure that it, you're getting up to do something that you really want to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's what I did, exactly. It's kind of like sort of uh, take control of your, your destiny a little bit, if you can. How long did that process take? Uh, we started writing it, Anthony, the director, and I, we started writing it in about 2009, I think it was. Oh, my God. And then, uh, you know, the series of drafting, redrafting, finding a producer, stepping forward, then deciding that we were going to go with another producer and then getting more notes and all the, the drafting process until we got the script where we wanted it. Um, then, obviously, you get jobs and so you get thrown to the far-flung corners of the world. So you put it on ice and you come back to it. And then finally securing the money and getting talent scheduled to line up and so on. It was seven years till we got on set the first day of shooting. So that was a pretty special day. That's insane. I mean, that's... So that's nine. It's about... It's coming up to nine years now because we shot it 18 months ago. I mean, that's... that's, If if that project was a child, that's almost its entire school curriculum. Yeah. Of just seven. It felt like a child. <laughs> it is definitely my baby. I'd like it to take half the time <laughs> next time. Yeah. I mean, it, it... It was a massive... It was a wonderful learning curve, though. I learned so much about, you know, all the crafts, basically, because now you're invested in what everyone is doing on that set, not just your own business. Um, and it's made me a better actor and... Um, just the process of what it is to get an... In- I respect anyone that just gets a film made, period. Right. It's so... I mean, it's a trite thing and we say it all the time, but um, actually the for the stars to align and for anything to get made is r- truly a miracle. Yeah. So um, it's... Um, <laughs> when I stand on other people's sets now, I'm that... I mean, I was always respectful. I kind of knew, but I've lived it now. So sure. I'm always, you know, when people say, oh, this is my passion project, we've been trying to, we've been developing it for 15 years. I'm like, I've, I'm here. I'm here to give you everything. I'm here to give you totally everything I've got right now because I know what that took. Yeah, yeah because it, there, there are a lot of different skill sets. I mean, like, first, there's just the skill set of you, you learn how to foster creativity. You go, oh, yeah, I, mean, I have an idea. Great. A lot of people have ideas. That's great. You got an idea. Okay, now we're actually going to start doing it. That's a whole other yeah. muscle. But then to stick it out. Year after year, I mean, how do you even know, but you know, by the time you're ready to shoot, do you go, oh my God, do I even think this is what this should be anymore? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with you and your material. It's like you are so in it. You've been so immersed 
in it for so long that uh, you know you do lose your perception slightly and you have to listen to other people it's the I mean that's the biggest skill I learn is listening to constructive criticism because something that you think is there or is on the page um <laughs> we actually got t-shirts made um uh one of the producers and um uh, so a couple of the producers and Anthony and I we all got t-shirts made that said um on the front of it it's a hangover from a previous draft <laughs> because there would be things in the script and we'd be like um we'd be like oh this isn't working like guys why isn't when was the last time we really looked at this scene and like that component doesn't work? And especially with the thriller sure almost like comedy it's like you've got to set something up right. in order for the payoff you know so you've got to track certain things and you'd be like well this doesn't make sense anymore because we did this and we turned we changed that and then the center we kept saying and like you know in this in the page turn but in the pre-production we were like oh no that was a hangover from a previous draft <laughs> so in the end yeah. we got t-shirts in the end we got t-shirts made of it because it was just a phrase we were saying again and again but you can't see the wood for the trees, the forest for the trees, as you guys say, after a while. So it really helps. It's so wonderful when the actors step in and the crew step in and they point out, oh, that makes perfect sense. Or that doesn't make sense at all. You know, you're like, someone else be part of this process. <laughs> give me too some, close to it. Give me some fresh eyes. Yeah, well, and, uh, and also, can you be in stuff? That, like, is it, are you, are you able to separate, because you know so much about the, project it was a really as an actor it was a really interesting experience because for the first time ever i didn't really need to do inverted commas characterization work sure because i'd written the character for you know five years right so i just knew her and i had written i had you know before i got game of thrones and the hunger games and before i sort of had this little moment when my profile altered I was fully expecting to hand this file over to another actress you know a more bankable actress um and who was going to take who was going to play Sophia in In Darkness and I thought I was just going to be you know the co-writer and maybe have a cameo role in there somewhere but I did not think I was going to play her so after get you know the the wonderful thing that Game of Thrones and the Hunger Games did for me um was gave me the ability to play the role in the script that I wrote. Right. And I am, you know, so grateful for that because I was literally going to hand the file over to somebody else and say, you do her. And then I was like, I just, I knew her. So it was wonderful in that regard. And do, as soon as you finished, are you, is there any part of you that's like, let's go do this again? Or do you already have something in development? I've got a couple of things in development. I haven't started, I haven't, I want to write again because I found it an incredibly rewarding experience. And I know so much more than I did when I started. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, you know, the gestation period would hopefully be, you know, a quarter of the time because I've really, I've really learned, um, I've learned a lot and I mean, I want to learn so much more. So I'd like, you know, I would like to write more, but I am developing stuff definitely at the moment. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's addictive, um, getting a, seeing a glance from the other side. And, and also I love, I love the team sport of it all. I love like, I love the collective effort. Yeah. Um, because being an actor, I'm sure, as with you and your shows, it's like it can be quite an isolating, insular, sure, you know, process. Um, I mean, an actor can take themselves away and be, you know, engrossed in themselves. <laughs> but it's, you know, to be part, to be a producer, to be a writer, to be a part of the development, to have stakes in what everyone else is doing and to consider yourself more a team leader and part of a family that is trying to achieve a story and everyone throwing their ideas on the table for the betterment of the story. Like, that's catnip. It's, I found that quite addictive. Sure. Um, and I want to be part of a team. It's kind of my natural instinct. So... Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know... I'm not a novelist at heart that wants to go and, you know, right. hide away somewhere for... I don't know, maybe. It depends on how stressful my life is. Collaboration gets. is great. Katie, go tell me something. Um, collaboration is great because it you get a unique chemistry with every different person. And there's 
something new and magical that happens with each time you go, oh, this team brings out this facet and this, you know, this organism that was born of this grouping is a slightly different, has a slightly different tone this way. And so I think there's, there's also an addiction to just experimenting with as many different, you know, chemical compounds as possible because you get to see, they all yield slightly different things. Absolutely. And like, you know, Guillermo del Toro talks, you know, when I was watching the roundtables last awards season, you know, he's talking very eloquently about how limitation actually limitations in budget or location or in time actually help you because you're forced to make decisions. So when you're writing and shooting a thriller, which is meant to be tight by its nature, it has to be clean and tight and nothing superfluous or, you know, extraneous, just... Um, because that the genre requires it, a clarity. Um, that thinking on your feet, hey guys, we've got a problem, how are we going to do it in that moment? What, you know, you know, hell, Anthony and I don't mind if the grip's got a good idea. Sure. You know, it's like, and I just, I get it, that kind of guerrilla type of effort, guerrilla style shooting type of effort. I get it, you know, the adrenaline rush is pretty wonderful. Well, I would imagine because... You know, when you're acting, it's probably hard to feel like you're doing anything because you don't have any control over the final result. They'll tell you like, oh, this is the scene. You do the scene. Maybe you do it a couple different ways. And they kind of use whatever works better for them. You don't really mm. – I'm sure – but when you're actually making something, you, act, you I think it satisfies that – thing that a lot of creative pursuits don't give you, which is I'm doing, I'm making a thing. This is a product that I am making, you know, because we don't, we're not people who go off and like manufacture a toy or something where you can see it come off the assembly line and there it is. And you can see. And trying to, and reminding yourself like what you're, why you're doing it. Like, because (laughs) the blood, sweat and tears that are involved. I mean, without sounding too wanky, it's like, what was the message when I started writing this? You know, so you don't lose yourself in like going back and going, I'm trying to remember why I wanted cathartically to make this movie. And I mean, I find acting a cathartic process, anything. I think it's why I do it is kind of handle to handle how fucked up the world is. Sure. It's my way of like (laughs) medicating. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a cathartic vent. I'm sure what you do isn't dissimilar. And, um... You know, writing just gives you another way of doing that. And um, uh, it's sort of an experience in, <laughs> in self-analysis as well. It's like, and, I, and, and, and seeing if it transfers. But it's really, you know, when someone else gets it, when they read your script or they watch your movie and they go, oh, I see you were, you know, these themes you've got going on of forgiveness of yourself or uh, redemption or revenge and letting the past go or family or, um, you know, uh, self-identity. And and you're like, oh, my, when someone understands what you were trying to hint at, it's it's so it's in, so invigorating. It's um and normally as an actor just to be the vessel of that, and I love just being the gun for hire in the vessel. But to see a glimpse of that other side as well, that maybe it's open to me that I can do both. Right. Um. Is feels feels nice. Chris. Well, it does, of course. <laughs> feels, and, and also, feels sweet. And you, know? you might also, you know, you might also have the experience where someone goes, "Oh, it looks like." you were dealing with this thing or that thing and you didn't realize it and you go, Oh my God, I never thought. Cause you're just, obviously everything, everything that you make, every creative thing is an expression of something in mm. your brain. And I feel like you don't always know what that is exactly. until you make it. And then you go, huh? Oh, I guess I, you know, Oh, this makes sense. I, you know, I was afraid of being abandoned when I was a kid and look at this, this, yeah. I didn't even intend to make this. And that's this tone of this thing that came out. Cool. Absolutely. And you know, but, I mean, David Bowie famously said, you know, that, I mean, it's, it's obvious. I mean, most people know it, but it's like that all art is subjective. And I get asked a lot in interviews um, for the most, like, what do you want the audience to feel? You know, we're talking about it at the moment when I've been promoting Picnic with the director, Picnic at Hanging Rock, um, with Larissa Kondraki. And we openly talk about how she, as like the showrunner, and I have different interpretations as to what the sh- the show is actually you know, like that tagline about like what it's actually about. Mm -hmm. And like, um, that's, that's how it should be that it has a different message, not just for the audience that they can own it and claim it and put what they want it to be about, 
on it, stamp it on it, but that the actual creators feel like that as well. Sure. That there is some discrepancy, slight discrepancy in exactly what the main theme or themes are. Right. And I I find that fascinating. It's like, you know, like when we look at your wallpaper, like yeah, <laughs> your amazing deer and like uh, pastoral, you know, um, wallpaper. It's like, what do you see? What does that, how does that make you feel? And it's like when you can make really good shit entertainment but sneak in a little bit of art and craft well that's where the depth comes in that that, those are the those are the things that you know where something is people can appreciate the shiny level of it they go this was a what a thrill ride but then it's the stuff that has those deeper psychological or emotional weights that that kind of ground them in something that even if people can't exactly put their finger on it resonates with them in some authentic way where they they go, oh my god! I was really moved by this because you 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 had a real experience, and a number of other people will just attach themselves to that because they mm. go, oh, I had that too, or I feel that, or this helped me through this. I mean, that's that's the real magic of it. Do you want to do a play? You ever want to write a play? Do you think? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. It's like. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what interests me about a play is that it's a contained space. Mm-hmm. Again, it's about limitation. Yes. That you can only do so well, you know, unless obviously you go in what you demand of your audience in, in their imagination. But um, it's it, it's interesting. You know, I feel like I'm I, I haven't got all the answers yet. I feel like I'm maybe like dipping my toe into the water of like the next evolutionary space of Nat. You know, right. I'm just, you know, I'm, uh, I'm open to suggestions <laughs> at this juncture because um, I feel this creative impulse and I feel like I get it now. You know, I feel like, I mean, like the mechanics of the industry. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've done my Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Sure, of course. And I yes. just, you know, and so then within that, but, you know, there's so many exciting things happening at the moment within the industry. Things are shifting. They do feel they're it feels a little bit like the wild west like people are open to ideas at the moment and god knows there's so much um opportunity for content so it's like you know what do you what do you what do you want to do it's like i need to take five minutes have a little think about things we'll probably do something comedic soon i would imagine well the play i did was uh, a lot of comic timing it was like a dark uh, it was like a you know a dark comedy um and i yeah i mean I I do have. I mean, I don't, you're putting me in an awkward situation here. Like, be funny. Tell I'm a joke. Told, be funny. Told, I'm told, I've been told I'm quite. I can be, be funny. I can be amusing. Where I have, you know, I can do the timing. <laughs> I mean, I managed to pull it off on stage. So, and I mean, I don't know if you go right back to like my first gig ever. Like was like Lassa Holstrom's Casanova with Heath Ledger. I mean, that kind of had a burlesque physical comedy to it. And you know, I'd love to. I'd love to like sink my teeth into some proper comedy. Yeah, I really would. Absolutely. Nice. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe can give you some lessons. Maybe go. Oh, I don't know if I. I mean, I don't, I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not like a theater. I don't know much about like theater comedy. It theater comedy just feels very like presentational to me and very to do something whip smart to do like a no coward play right. or yeah, like exactly. uh, yeah that I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, you have. I think you also have to have a very strong idea of what are you. What are you going after? You know, like I feel like comedy, like play, theater comedy, there's a thing. Like there's an idea that they're that the writer is attacking or like really going after or satirizing in a in a in a very you know, in a, and it has to have a lot of teeth to it. So I, you know, I don't know. That's just not that that kind of comedy. I don't think I'd be very good writing a comedy play because I, I I'd probably just make it too much like a sitcom. You know, and that's not that's different. It's not quite the same thing. But I'm not used to, you know, stand-up is such a lone wolf thing. We don't yeah. really get the experience of, you know, do you, ever, do you ever take any improv or sketch classes or anything like that? Uh, I've, done, I've done improv classes and I have had f- friends over the years who are stand-ups quite, you know, I, I know quite a few comedians. I think what you guys is even higher octane than what we do. I mean, you're really holding on to the seat of your pants <laughs> and the dopamine kick that you guys get when you get it right is 
incredible. And then the crash then immediately the, yeah, after. Yeah, I've, so, I've, so, <laughs> I've seen the crashes <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen the crashes. But I feel like but, stand-ups are always good listeners because we're so used to doing our own thing, unless you do a lot of crowd work. But the improv training is great. I think it's just great for anything because it, it teaches you to look at people, read what they're trying to do, and listen to the, listen with your eyes and listen with your yeah, ears. Yeah, acting is reacting. It's she's, reacting. She's reacting. Yeah. Yes. What did Al, Alan Alda was just in the podcast, and his thing was, um, I'd never heard anyone say this before, and it blew my... I'm going to say this to you, and you're going to go, this is the most fucking obvious thing in the world. But he said, but the whole idea was finding your performance in another actor's eyes. And I was like, oh. Jesus Christ, I never thought No, but that. That, that's always what I do. That's my go-to place. If I can smell bullshit in my own performance, or I know I'm like phoning it in, or I'm not feeling it, or something's going wrong, you just go back to the other person. Because you're looking, you think about it in life, we're looking to affect the person we're talking to. So, right. And that was the hardest bloody thing about shooting in darkness is I couldn't because I'm playing a blind woman right I could not make eye contact with my co-stars and the first thing I felt was oh my god I'm so rude (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's all right now they know you're playing someone who's blind (laughs) but um it was like this massive I completely underestimated as exactly what you said that my safety net on camera, not necessarily on stage, although on stage too, um, to be watching the other person, to watch, to not be able to make eye contact with the other actor, especially um, in close close-up work, was really something I had to get past. And I, you know, I talked to Anthony directing, like I was worried because um, it, it, it really is the lifeline. And so you have to internalize. I mean, I would end up, it sounds silly, but, you know, I would do rehearsals with my eyes closed. And then you're really listening. You're Mm -hmm. really, really listening because that's only what you have. You lose that other sense um, or you're you're imitating that you have. Um, And you have to try and shut that sense off in the acting environment. And it was was really much harder than I was anticipating. Yeah, I mean, that... I can't even that experience of I've been writing this for you know we work on this for a long time. Oh shit! Now we got to do it. Yeah, right. Oh, I hadn't even. <laughs> well, I didn't know this was going to happen. Now I got to. Oh, I know. I mean, I was like I said, I was a real cow. Like when I was thinking of handing the file over to the other actress, I'm like, yeah, she plays the piano and she's blind, you know. And now I'm like, fuck. What now, do I, I do? now I've got to do all that. Do that. I've got to do the piano classes now. Damn. <laughs> Wearing a blindfold. <laughs> God damn. I why? really set myself up for this. What an idiot. Yeah. What do you exactly. think is the thing that you learn? Like when you say, oh, you learn. Obviously, the learning curve is so steep when you're when you're making something. But what 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 was the most important thing or a couple things that you learned that you're excited to uh, employ on your next project? I I learned. Um, you know that um, I've, it, it's it's emboldened me since that when I read a line and I don't think it works or I I think I can add something else in the syntax or I can just I, I I've I've learned not to be so shy in going to the director or the writer and saying hey just a suggestion but this mm-hmm. could why if I did this instead because being on the other side of that I'd be like you know if Ed Scrine or you know Jolie Richardson turned to me and said Nat can I change this line to th-? I'd be like oh my god yes that's so much better you're quite right that's so much more naturalistic or that works so much better from their point A to B we're trying to get the scene to um so the just the uh confidence to offer up right definitely and also, like, just don't be precious. I mean, I was way too precious when I started writing and I found the notes process. Weirdly, I'd, I'd worked out how to take rejection as an actor quite early on in my career and not assimilate it with a rejection of my personal self. Right. But I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but when someone, like, has a constructive criticism for your writing, mm-hmm. you feel like they've stabbed you in the heart. I felt like they'd stabbed <laughs> me in the heart and spat on my head. I've gone, you don't have any interesting thoughts or feelings. And then, then you know, and separating um, the, again, the, um, the, 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 what you write is, again, not a rejection of your personal self. Right. And being open to taking on notes. I think so, that's a good sign, though. I mean, yes, it's good to learn to not be too sensitive when you get notes, but it's a good sign that you that not only do you care about what you're making, but also that it 
came from somewhere personal. Well, you know what your battles are. If you have to priority list what you feel passionately about, right. it helps you, you know, you can, you can always, you know, you pick your, you literally pick your battles. So I feel really strongly about X and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna move me on X, but therefore Y and Z, yeah, is maybe up for negotiation. And that can be regards a line, a scene, a, a cast, a casting, um, a location, anything. And this is how it organically, you know, it grows. You, they say, you know, there's, there's three movies or there's three scripts because now we're in the golden era of television. I feel like saying film is reductive, but it's like there's the, you know, there's, this, there's, the, there's the movie you write, the movie you shoot and the movie you cut. And they're three totally different. I mean, I don't know what the same would be for you. It's like the idea you have, the execution of it and the way the audience respond. It's yeah, like they're you, three you, different things. You don't know because you, you have an idea. You, your head is a, is, a, is a simulation. It's basically like a holodeck. And you can run the simulation in your head and go, oh, this is probably how it'll work. But it's just not – because it relies on the chemistry of other people. Exactly. Again, and then the other people that you're working with and then also the audience is a whole other separate relationship of chemistry. You Like a lot of the time, it's like, oh, this thing that I thought was really going to work, I was convinced it was going to work. But it doesn't, at least according to the audience. So I guess I'll just adjust and kind of figure it out with them along the way. But, it's, but you know, it's incredible because like when I was doing Venus in Fur at, at the, on the West End, it's like, you know, there'd be, one, there'd be one joke one night that would go down a storm. I'm sure you have this. There'd be <laughs> one line one night goes down like a house on fire. And another night, like, you can hear, you know, the crickets. Right. It's like, and you're like, what did, you know, it's like, is it the, it's the as you say, it's the alchemy of in that, that transient moment. That is the beauty of live performance. Right. It's a transient moment that crystallizes um, the magic of a moment works or doesn't work night to night, depending. But in film, you don't you you have to make that choice. Right. right? And then just go, well, this is what it is. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of not being the director is handing it over to Anthony and going, and that's for you, babe. (laughs) Well, off you go. You make the tough call. Off you go. With plays, though, that thing you're talking about where a joke lands one night, it doesn't land the next night. The play can't ever change to adapt. The, um, the, the very fortunate thing about just about doing stand-up is that you can adjust everything you're doing according okay, to the Okay, you audience. can adjust the words, but in a play you can adjust the tone, the blocking, the lead-up to it. But not in the moment. Like, you can't, in the, halfway through the play, you can't be like, I better walk over there because the audience, you know... Well, I, oh, do you- <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there would be, you know, I think, I mean, that's true. Fr- that is true freedom. I mean, unless you're doing like a Beckett play or something where everything is like, you know, the stage directions are written to the letter. I mean, I mean, you know, that's the difference between, you know, doing Shakespeare and you feel like you have to follow the grammar to like doing this thing with Patrick Marber and going, hey, Patrick, you know, he's a great friend and going, Patrick, can I just drop the you know, can I drop that word there? And he'll be like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone will notice. Go on, dorms. You, you, you see, you try it out tonight, dorms. See if no anyone notices. Yeah, you so. can't really do that with Shakespeare. You can't do that with Shakespeare. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, this idea that, um, you know, freedom can actually, the idea of, I think people like the idea. You can be li- given liberated by, by, you can be given liberty by, by limitation. That's exactly right. Yeah. That because it does, you're your most creative when you have to problem solve. Yes. Not when you have unlimited resources. Yeah. I mean, a perfect example is, is like, just go, just go sit in front of Google, the Google homepage and go, I can learn anything in the collective sum total of human knowledge. Anything I want to learn, I could learn. Oh, I don't know what I want. You know, that's, that is absolute freedom. You can learn anything you yeah, want. Yeah, if you're given too much choice, you're kind of screwed. Your brain just gets in a traffic jam, but, but problem solving is where the creativity comes from. So I, you know, as we're sort of wrapping this down, first of all, I wonder if people are going to be like, how come you didn't ask about Game of Thrones? Well, because A, you've talked about it a million times, and I wanted to get to know you as a person. Thank so you. I hope you had a I nice... I know my wallpaper preferences. And your wallpaper preferences. <laughs> but what is something that you're... Um, what is something that brings you joy at the moment? And it doesn't have to be a work thing. It can be anything. Is there is there one kind of little thing that just, you know, like you go back to that kind of brings you happiness in an otherwise chaotic and topsy-turvy world? 
Yeah, I mean, we, you, you were talking about it earlier when you said how beautiful Scotland was. I was up on the Isle of Skye, you know, right in the top left-hand corner of Scotland a few weeks ago with my with my family. And, you know, we were walking the dogs and the landscape was just incredible. It's And um, the air in your lungs is so fresh that it almost, you know, it's almost abrasive. And... Um, you just see these stunning mountains and the sun and the shadows glide over it and you just get a sense of perspective. I mean, you turn on the news at the moment and everything's so blinking depressing. Yeah. But when you see, like, the majesty of that kind of landscape and, like we were saying before, I mean, I mean America's got incredible landscape in it, but you see, like... The, um, and Hanging Rock as well, Picnic at Hanging Rock, this Amazon show that I've got coming out, standing on that Mount Diogenes, which is actually literally the Hanging Rock, that has been there for millennia. And, you know, it's sacred to, um, you know, the indigenous population in Australia. And you just see Mother Nature I take solace from. It might sound like a, you know, it might sound like a slightly wanky no, thing No, not at but all. I really do, uh, you know, getting outside and going for a walk with the dog and getting some fresh air in your lungs and looking at the majesty of this world that we're rapidly trying to destroy um, uh, really, really, really helps, really helps me. Maybe there's a play in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, how do I get the majesty of the, the majesty. sky on the stage? That's exactly right. Though. You can crack that. Come on. Yeah. And also, uh, thank you for teaching me my new favorite word, wanky. Oh, yeah, it's very, it's very British. I love it. I mean, I, I've heard like, I mean, I get where you know, it comes the, from. The verb to wank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, guys, wanker. You know, but something being wanky and as being, an adjective, as, as in indulgent. Yeah. Oh my God, is that like that wanky as an adjective slash predicate nominative is definitely going to. Uh, th- this is the piece of furniture I'm going to take from this podcast. I love. I'm going to take wanky. Great. I hope you don't mind. No problem. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Natalie Dormer. So, uh, picnic and hanging rock is that? I know it's on Amazon. Is it premiered yet, or what is the? They. In Darkness and Picnic at Hanging Rock are both the 25th of May. Oh, my gosh. I know. What are the chances? A, du- uh, a double a double dose of Dormer. Yeah, it's the day of Dormer, the 25th of May. It's like... <laughs> Dorm's Day. Sorry, guys. It's Dorm's Day. <laughs> it's Let's Dorm- hashtag Dorm's Day. It's Dorm's Day. Yeah, that's yeah. the 25th. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Enjoy your burrito. Oh, will you say enjoy your burrito? It's how we end the podcast. Enjoy your burrito. Sounds so much better. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts